Romans chapter 4. So we're going to be studying the book of Romans all the way through. So we'll finish probably sometime in the fall, okay? That's how big the book of Romans is. Some of Romans, as you know, Paul's letter to the Romans is very deep. So like Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in that book for probably five weeks. You know what I mean? Because Romans chapter 8 is very deep and it, there's so much in it, you can't just like breeze through it. And so we're going to unpack that for a while. But what we're going to do is we are broke this up chronologically until um, Easter. And it's so awesome. Like Easter Sunday falls on an awesome like resurrection part of Romans. So it just fit that way. Praise God, I didn't plan it that way. And so we're going to be talking about the resurrection on Easter with that. And then after that, we're going to take a break and do another series that we're still finalizing for after Easter. So we'll have that information. Part of the reason we do that is we're going to be giving you guys invite cards to invite people to Easter. We're having two services this year. And at Easter, we're going to invite people back to the new series that we're starting, okay? And so it's kind of like a tie-in. And then after we do that series for four or five weeks, we're going to jump back into the book of Romans. Sound good? And we're going to continue studying that. But it just breaks it up a little bit. Sounds good? Okay. So the, as we talked about before, a couple weeks ago, Paul says, salvation is not by works, so nobody could boast. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked a lot about Abraham. And he said, Abraham was not made righteous because of his good deeds. And they were like, well, wait a minute. God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he did. So that was his deed that saved him. And Paul is using Abraham as evidence, saying, no, that didn't save him. It was the faith that he had in God that was counted to him as righteousness. So it was not the deeds, it was his faith. And so why is it so important with um, Abraham here? Part of it is, part of it is with Abraham, he was the father of all of these Jewish people. He was seen the father of this whole nation. He was so respected and honored. And so Paul is using him as evidence for our salvation today. It's like him saying, hey, Abraham says it, so it's true. Abraham was saved by faith, so it's true. It's the same way if I tell you, you know, if I said this, you need to forgive other people. There's a chance you could say, Jim, that's your opinion, okay? But if I says, Jesus says you have to forgive other people, it carries more weight, right? Jesus says you have to serve. Jesus said you have to share the gospel. Jesus says this, and so saying Jesus says adds more weight. And Paul is using Abraham to build his case, okay? So as we do every week, I'm going to read the whole passage in its entirety, starting in verse 13. So bear with me, follow along on the screens or in your Bibles. I'm reading from the ESV if you have that version, okay? After I read this section, I'm going to pray and then we'll unpack it. So it says this in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring is that he would be the heir of the world, did not, that promise did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. Um, for if the adherence of the law was by the law, faith is null and promise is void. Sorry. In verse 15, for the law brings what? All right, good. You guys are following along. I just do that to check to make sure you're following along with me. All right, so he brings wrath. But where there is no law... There is no sin, or there's no transgression. Verse 16, that is why it depends on? In order that the promise may rest on and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, 
not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's what God said to Abraham. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's a really awesome verse, and I want to read it again, because I think if y'all taking notes, you can write this down. But, but um, it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives, God gives what? To the dead. God gives life to the dead. And he calls into existence things that, are, that do not exist. Awesome attribute of God right there. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. What was wrong with Abraham's body? He was really old, okay? He was 100, I think we can call that old or older than most. He was con when he considered his own body, he did not weaken in faith, which was as good as dead. His it said his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made, made him waver concerning the promises of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our transgressions. Let's pray. God, we... Thank you for this passage. God, we thank you that salvation isn't based on our effort because we would all fall short and be uh, miserable failures if we tried. God, help us lean back and just rest in what you've done for us and not try to accomplish it or reaccomplish it on our own. So God, we give you, um, we lift up this time to you. Uh, God, I pray personally you use me as your mouthpiece to just say what you want and to hold back what you want. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit goes out to all of us, and um, you teach us, guide us, give us direction. And I pray that today is life-changing for all of us in different ways. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, Clint or Bruce, can we turn on these lights right here and turn up the house lights, please, as people take notes? Thank you so much, guys. Um, so who is Abraham? If you remember, who is Abraham? He's the father of all the nations and the father of the Hebrew people. Um, well, specifically the Hebrew nation. And what was his promises? If you're taking notes, it's Genesis 12, 2 through 7 is all the promises of Abraham. The promises, you're going to have a lot of descendants, okay? Abraham who had no kids, Sarah and Abraham who had no children, God said, you're going to have a lot of children. Like your children's children's children's, like your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky. Awesome promise to him. That was one. The second is, he would inherit the land of Canaan, which is what? What's the land of Canaan today? It, yeah, Jerusalem, Israel, like the land of Israel is Canaan today. And so, yeah, Jerusalem's in that. And so he would inherit that Israel, and that would be God's chosen holy land for that, those people. And this is the third promise that was given Abraham. All of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. 
So you're going to have a lot of kids, and one of your kids, like one of your seeds, is going to bless the entire earth. You know, what, you know what I mean? Like he would be, what they're saying is the Messiah is going to come through you. The Messiah is going to be your great, great, great grandson. And so we know that his seed was Jesus. Jesus came and died for the whole world, as we talked about, and rose from the dead, as we obviously know, and we worship him. And he was the one that blessed all the nations. He's the one that if anybody turns to Jesus, they can be saved. That's the blessing. That's the Messiah's role. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's not only part man and part God, he's 100% God, right? He's God's own son. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father and I are one, right? Okay, so he is, um, he is the Messiah. He's the one to be blessed. But in this first part, he says this, in verse 13, for the promise of Abraham and his offspring is that he would, is that they would be the heir of the world. Okay, and so you read this and you're like, am I going to be the heir of the world? Am I going to inherit the world? Like, that's kind of something we should ask ourselves. Um, and if you study God's word, and this is, I can't go in deep depth on all of this. I taught on it at one point. But the first thing is, Jesus in the Beatitudes says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Right? The meek, the humble, the lowly will ultimately inherit the earth. So what is he talking about? Well, later on in Romans 8, 17, it says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So as Christ is the son and he is the heir, we who are in Christ are co-heirs. So we get all the blessings of eternal life. We get all the blessings. And um, ultimately, when God creates the new heaven and new earth and it comes down, we are, inherit that right? That's what he's meaning. Like, those that are Christians, those that accept Christ, we will inherit the earth, that we could step into the kingdom and take our plot in the new heavens and new earth. Amen? And it's an exciting thing. The other thing, too, is, is remember we talked about, this is probably like a year ago, but we talked about end times, right? We talked about there's going to be a rapture, there's going to be a millennial kingdom where Satan's bound for a thousand years. We had a lot of dialogue about that, but during that time, saints will rule with Christ, and so we'll, we'll be co-rulers with Christ in the millennial kingdom, which is really cool. Obviously, I don't have time to get into all of that, but it's really exciting stuff, what the Christians have to look forward to. And I'll talk more about that in about 10 minutes, about like what our hope is ultimately in. Like what gives us hope? Like why, like what gets us through the day at the end of the day? What keeps us going when times are tough? Like what are those things? And part of it is us as Christians looking to the future, amen? And not getting so fixated on right now in our life. But I have a point in my sermon I want to talk about later. I don't want to get into that right now. Um, so how do I get this benefit? How do I get this benefit of inheriting the earth? I mean, I'm sure all of you want that, right? And I mean, that's a great way to evangelize, right? Um, this isn't a good way, but hey, you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? You know what I mean? Have you ever have anybody heard of that evangelism strategy? It's not the most creative way. Like, do you want to burn forever in hell or do you want to go to paradise? I mean, which one do you want? Like, who would choose hell, right? That's not really the question, but, you know, that's how we do it sometimes. But who wants the benefit to inherit eternal life is Romans 4.13. We just read this. It says this, Romans 4.13. This did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Through the righteousness of faith. So the promise of Abraham and his offspring did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, meaning the faith that we have. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but being righteous is not something that we can do, but it's a gift that we receive, right? 
It's a gift that we receive. We can't make ourselves righteous. God gives us righteousness, and we receive that gift through faith. And it's very important to know that. Um, obeying rules doesn't make you good. Doesn't make you good. Believing in Jesus makes you good. And that's the point. And that's the big theme that we talk about is this. We are saved by faith alone, faith in Jesus. We are saved by what? In faith in Jesus. That's the biggest theme of Romans that Paul is trying to hammer. Because in that time, people were saying, you need to become circumcised. Well, he's saying, I'm saved by faith alone. All it is is faith alone. That's what saves us. Being righteous is a gift. We use that terminology. Um, God making us righteous is much different than being self-righteous. Right? Anybody hear of, hear of the term self-righteous? It's, what that means is you made yourself righteous, okay? And so we talk about this next section is self-righteous versus God-given righteousness. Okay, and very important because I could, I can't make myself righteous. And some of us think we can. That's why you get somebody who's self-righteous. But uh, the only reason I am righteous is not because of the work I did. I didn't build up this righteous life for myself. God offered me the gift of being declared righteous, and I accepted it. Amen? And so why is that important? It's because you guys encounter a lot of people in your lives. Maybe people that don't know Jesus. Maybe people that, as the Bible would say, are still dead in their sins, and they don't have any hope. And you look at their lives, and you're like, oh, man, that's horrible. Like, like, like again, it's horrible that they don't know Jesus, but you're no better than any of them. Right? Like, our merit, like we were called righteous. God took away all our sins by the blood of Jesus and he called us righteous so we could stand perfectly holy before our Father without any sin accounted to us, not because of anything we did, but because of what God did, what Jesus did. Amen? That's so important. Yes, thank you. You guys can clap to that. All right? Yes. I'm not going to like share that clip on Facebook and just be like, edit in clapping. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I think this is so important because, um, number one, self-righteousness is I build it. It creates pride. The Pharisees were very self-righteous people. The Pharisees who were always arguing with Jesus, they were holier than everybody else, and they were self-righteous. It creates pride. Um, it creates, I'm better with you. The problem with self-righteousness is it doesn't give glory to God. It robs God of his glory, and it says that we created this. I did this, all right? It's like somebody, the good way to explain this, self-righteousness versus God-given righteousness, is let's say that, just, I don't know, nobody knows this person, but let's say that somebody inherited like $100 million from their parents. I don't know if you guys know anybody like that that inherited hundreds, like a million dollars, two, five million dollars from their parents. And that's not bad. If my parents want to do that, fine, I'll accept it. My mother-in-law is actually here this morning with us. Yes. If you have a million dollars you want to leave Nicole and I, we would gladly accept it. No, if you get a chance, say hi to my mother-in-law. She's an awesome lady of God, woman of God. She's written many books uh, for the kingdom of God, and she'd be happy to share those with you as well. She's awesome, but that's not why she's here. She's just here to watch my kids. Um, <laughs> she does so good at that. But let's say, I, let's say somebody inherited a million dollars. Let's say Tammy and Dave Sorensen inherited millions of dollars. You guys, would be, you guys would be happy for them, right? But let's say they got, like, really cocky and they, like, started doing speaking tours 
of how they grew this wealth. Let me tell you how I, how I grew this wealth and how I became rich. And you'd be like, you guys didn't do anything. Like, you inherited it. As opposed to you inherited that wealth and you're just like, I didn't deserve this, but I'll accept it. And I'm praising my, my family for it and praising God for it. Amen? And so... Do you see the point, the differences? When you inherit God's righteousness and God calls you righteous because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you can't say, wow, look at me. It's not because of anything you did. And the reason that's important is if your works save you, then your sins could unsave you. Do you know what I mean? If your works could save you, that means your screw-ups could actually damn you or unsave you. And so that's like, we don't want that. Like, I don't want to live in that tension of like, my work saved me so my sins could unsave me. Like, Jesus Christ covered our sins and I gladly accept it. And all my sins are covered. So if I do sin, those are covered by Jesus and I go to him and, you know, repent and come back to him. But they don't, they don't damn me either. Because when God died for us, he covered our sins, past, present, and future. Amen? Because believe it or not, thank you, Janine. I, I need this hype section. All right, I'm, I'm feeling it. All right. <laughs> but believe it or not, you're going to sin after you become a Christian. That's not like a guarantee, but I haven't met a Christian that after they've given their life to Christ, they never sinned. It's just going to happen. Um, and we need a way to reconcile this. So when you hear this, you can't go to hell because of your sins. Somebody might ask, well, what's stopping all these people from going hog wild every Saturday night and living up their sin? And just exercising their flesh and living it out. And my question to you is, if you really accepted the grace of God, you're not going to want to do that. Like, you're not going to want to do that, yeah. And so, y'all need to get better on your clapping skills. I'm just going to, like, pause. Maybe I need to pause longer. Now, I don't want you to clap, but if you do clap, I'll pause longer, all right? But this is, this is true. So, like, people ask this question to Paul. And Paul later on in Romans says, what shall then we say? Shall we go on sinning? Shall we just live it up because it's all forgiven anyway? He's like, certainly not. He's saying, certainly not. In a paraphrase of what the whole of God's word says is, I want to do good things out of the gratitude that's overflowing from my heart. Like, I want to serve in kids' ministry because I want to give back because God has given me so much. I want to help out and serve people because God has done so much. I want to tell people, like, all the good deeds should be an outpouring of the gratitude of our own salvation. Yes. And so what I mean by that is, like, we don't do good deeds out of obligation, nor do we not sin out of obligation because that's not a Christian life I want to live. That's called, like, legalism. Like, you, you know, be a good person because, you know, you know, you'll fit in better at the church. Like, I do good things. I want to be a good person because of the, like, the work that was done in me. Same person who inherited, like, all that money. Like, they just want to give back because they were given so much. And it flows out of gratitude and not obligation. And, and so that's the difference between real self-righteousness and God-given righteousness. Okay? Verse 16. Verse 16. Moving on. It says this. That's why, that is why it depends on faith. Okay, that is why it depends on what? It's kind of like what I just said. Your salvation doesn't depend on you. It depends on, yeah, your faith and, that, and what God did for you. So that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law or the follower of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham 
who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that does not exist. What um, does it depend on? What does it depend on? It depends on faith. If you... I talked about that part. If you can't get salvation because of your good works, you could lose it because of your sin. Skip over that. It says here we need to rest on grace, rest on God's promises. Very much saying that everything that God did in you is completed. Everything that God did in you is completed, and you need to rest in it. Now, the work God does in you is when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's one of the promises of God. And the Holy Spirit's always doing a work in you. You know what I mean? Like maybe your filter of what came out of your mouth is a lot better now than it was like when you were first saved. You know what I mean? Like you're much more encouraging now than you were back then. You know, you're much, you know, you're not as sharp-tongued as you used to be. You're all these things. That's the Holy Spirit doing a work in you. And that's obviously just one example. And so, but sometimes it says it all depends on faith and that's what saves you. But have you ever thought about this? And I'm sure some of you have. Um, my faith isn't good enough. And we say that to some people. Why? Somebody's worried. Well, Rich, you just got to have more faith. Okay, I don't understand that. I don't understand what it means to have more faith, right? Like, like because to me, if I need to have more and more faith, I just feel like it's one of those things where I'm never measuring up, Right? If, okay, you got to have more faith. That's why you're depressed. You don't have enough faith. That's why you're down. You just got to have more faith. And I feel like what, when people say that, it's like God saying this, like you, like, you know that thing before you ride a roller coaster? It's like you need to be this tall to ride this ride. You need to have this much faith to ride this ride. And your faith is down here, all right? You're at that 28 inches faith, and you need that, like, 48 inches to ride this ride. And at times, we're always feeling like we don't measure up. And when you think that your faith, like, rides on not having enough faith, like a gas tank that's not all the way at full, you're always going to feel like a failure, and then it'll go back to works righteousness. You know what I mean? Like, it goes back to, like, that works, like, okay, I need to do better because uh, I don't have enough faith, so I need to try to have more faith. But meanwhile, Jesus said, you have to have faith the size of a what? A mustard seed. You know how big a mustard seed is? It's like the tiniest seed. You could fit like 10 inside a pumpkin seed, all right? Mustard seed is like that tiny. And Jesus said, if you have this much faith, you can move mountains. And so what I want to like tell the church from all of this is not like how much faith do you have that saves you or that makes you grow into who you are in Christ, but it's either you have it or you don't. And you have it, all right? Or some of you literally don't have it and you know if you have it or don't have it. You know what I mean? And so let's say you all have it. Live in it. You know what I mean? Like you have the saving faith. It's not how much. It's not this gas tank faith or it's not you have to have this much faith to, to ride the ride. And so stop doubting your salvation. If you feel like I'm not good enough for God, and you, let's say you're a Christian, you believe it, and you've saved, baptized, repented. If you feel like I'm not good enough for God, I don't have enough faith for God, that is Satan lying to you. You know what I mean? I'm really, this is a sidebar, but I think the next series is going to talk about like spiritual warfare because I believe that spiritual warfare happens all the time to all of us and we don't even really realize it. And if we don't realize it, we're certainly not going to be prepared for it. And then we're going to be on the battlefield of spiritual warfare, butt naked with a Nerf gun. You know what I mean? 
instead of being on the battlefield of spiritual warfare with armor and a sword. Do you know what I mean? Like, Satan is lying to you all the time. Satan is lying to you all the time. You could deflect those lies, or you could receive those lies and ponder on them. And so that's going to happen. And so when we talk about spiritual warfare, I think might be our next series. I'm still praying about it, but I think that would be something good for us. Satan's going to get you to doubt your salvation. Because if you're working hard, you're working hard, you're working hard, you're never going to feel good enough. And so you're never going to feel like you're worthy enough to share the gospel with your coworkers. I never feel like I'm worthy enough to share the gospel with my classmates at school because there's a voice in my head saying that I'm never going to be good enough. And probably that voice is Satan. So we need a way to combat that as a church. Amen? Okay. Um, so it goes on to saying, and this goes to my next question before we go on to the next verse is this. Are you resting in God's promises? Because Abraham, even though the deck was stacked against him, he was super old, his wife was super old, and not only that she's super old, that even when she was healthy, her womb wasn't even healthy enough to have a baby. So even when she was healthy and young, she couldn't have babies. Now she's 100 and her womb is in the same state. They had to rest in these promises, right? And so my question to you is, how do we apply this to our life? Are you resting in God's promises? What does that mean? What is God's promises? Like, first of all, you got to know God's word. That's why we tell you, you got to study God's word. Because how many of us know all of God's promises? Like, number one, is God's promise saying that when you get saved, you're going to be happy for the rest of your life? No, I think we know that. Is it that, you know, life is horrible, get saved, and life is going to be a lot better from now on? No, that's not his promises. It's not saying you're going to be happy. It's not saying that you're guaranteed that you're going to be healthy the rest of your life. It's not saying that um, you're going to be problem-free, that you're never going to face, face persecution. Um, not prosperity. There's no promise for success and wealth in the Bible for you. And if you think that following Jesus is going to make you wealthy, then you've believed a lie. It's not our purpose in that. I saw that. I want to... <laughs> Some of y'all got your tax returns. You're like, I feel wealthy. Um, um, so, but what I, what I mean by that is there's this promise. And if your promise is someday I'm going to be rich, stop following that promise. It's not a good promise to go after. God wants you to be content. Like if God can teach you to be content with what you have, you'll never want another dime, right? Like if I get money, I'll be great. But really I'm content with what I have, so I'm good. And that should be our, our motivation. But so what is our promises? What are promises? Um, first of all, those promises are a very narrow view of the kingdom of God. Some preachers maybe sell those promises or preach those promises, that things are going to be great and all these maybe not full truths. Um, but they're a very narrow view of the kingdom of God. And the promises are very limited to this life. I feel like if we're going to preach something, I don't want it to be contained just to this life because you're only going to be on this planet for like 80 more years, most of you, right? And we're going to be in eternity for like 50, 50,000, 50 million more years. So in the grand scheme of like 50 more million years compared to like the 80 more that you have here, it doesn't really compare. Amen? So what are the promises? I, I am a very simple guy and I'll narrow it down for you. Life is short and Jesus is coming soon. That's the promise. Like, Life is very short. Any stuff that you're dealing with, any crap that you're dealing with, any struggles that you're dealing with, it's going to be over soon and there's going to be a paradise waiting for you. That's the promise of God. Amen? 
So like the, str- like the struggles that we deal with, what gets us through is the promise at the end. So Jesus is coming soon. Heaven is real. Jesus said he'll never leave you or never forsake you. That's a promise that I cling to often. The Holy Spirit lives in us and never leaves us, never forsakes us. And that is really all you need in regard to promises. There's other ones in there for sure. God said he'll never leave us. So even in the mess, we know that God is right there with us so we don't feel abandoned. And then we have a hope of heaven. And I'm going to share a quick illustration about this, this, uh, this hope. But um, many, of you, some, uh, may, many of you don't know this, but like three weeks ago on Valentine's weekend, my family got in a, my van and we drove to Florida. We just wanted to get some sunshine for like five days. So we left on Wednesday in our van, our Chrysler Town and Country, that we just rebuilt the transmission. It has like almost 200,000 miles. We weren't really sure it'd make it. My dad's like, rent a car. And I said, it's $500. And so if my van dies, this was my plan. If my van dies, I was going to leave it on the side of the road, get a Uber, and then buy a car down there. Because I'm like, I need a car eventually. <laughs> so as we're driving, like, like we drove for 19 hours. We left after school. We picked the kids up on Wednesday at 3 p.m. And we got right on 31, all the way down, you know, to Indianapolis, blah, blah, blah. And we drove through the night, and we got to Florida like 11 a.m. to our resort, 11 a.m. the next morning. You right? We just drove all night. And it sucked, all right? (laughs) The drive sucked, all right? And I could say that, I think, in church. Uh, Don't repeat that, kids, if there's little kids in here. Um, Every state, a new light came on the dash that scared the heck out of me. (laughs) There is the low tire pressure light. And Nicole's like, should we stop and get, no, we're not stopping. The tires fall off, I told y'all, I'm leaving it in the ditch. I promise, I was going to do that. Um, And so the low pressure light went on, the no traction light came on, and by the time we got into Florida, all the lights came on. (laughs) But not only that, we were tired and like kind of like just really tired the whole night. I drove like, you know, 2 in the morning to 5 in the morning, all that time. So the kids were crying in the back. But we, you know, let him sleep in the back, let him sleep on the floor, don't tell anybody, but we let him sleep in the back um, and drove very careful. Um, and so we got through it. We got to Florida at, you know, the next morning. But the, the car ride was horrible, right? But we enjoyed it. Why did we enjoy it? Because the whole time we were thinking about Florida. And we're almost there. Honey, it's snowing in Michigan. Like that weekend, a Valentine's weekend, the snowstorm hit. And we were in 80 degrees weather with sun. And we were just living it up. And the only thing that kept us going on that car ride was the hope of our future that was waiting for us. When the kids were screaming, like we, it stunk, but we laughed it off. When, you know, we, we were tired and we couldn't go on it any longer. The thing that kept us up was the hope of sitting in Florida and uh, like next to the, the resort and the kids playing. And we just kept that in the, our mind. And us as Christians, the only thing that should keep you going is that future you have with Jesus Christ in eternity. And so when life gets hard and, you know, things get miserable, it feels like life is crashing down around you. Remember, Jesus hasn't left you. And remember the second thing, it's just this life that's crashing down around you. You have a different life that's waiting for you that should keep you on. And so if all I do here is preach on how to make your car ride better, all I'm doing is preaching about this life. The car ride was nothing. You could have gave me a nicer vehicle. I don't care. That wouldn't have made it better. The hope was what we have ahead of us. Amen? And the hope is that what you have is that this life is a sliver of eternity. So make the most of it, but know that when times get hard, 
you're going to be in heaven soon with Jesus. Jesus specifically said all the time, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. But what he's telling them is, I'm coming soon. Either you're going to die and be with me, or I'm coming back. One of them is going to happen, and it's going to be a very short time window. Amen? Amen. So that's my hope illustration for you, that when times get tough, just think about my misery and my car ride and how I was actually happy. Um, but does your language show that you're trusting in God? I know it's funny, but the elders call each other out all the time because when we think of what God's calling us to do and we bring up something like we don't have enough money for that, we say, where's your faith? You know what I mean? Like, where's your faith? Like, where's this? Where's, like, we're, we serve God. And so our language needs to flow out of that. God will make a way. Amen? And Abraham didn't sit, sit around and be like, um, you know, we're old and just dwell on that. He knew that God would make a way. Okay, let me read verse 18. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall his offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, or he did not get weak in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, and Sarah, um, and it, which is good as dead, I'm oh, sorry, since it was about 100 years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham believed God in something that seemed far-fetched, um, was, you know, that he was going to be a dad, and he believed in that, and it was going to happen. Um, so this whole section is a picture of salvation. I want to I make this clear. This whole section overall is a picture of salvation, and he's saying this. He's saying, look at Abraham. He was super old, and Sarah was super old, and life came out of that, and so out of death came life, right? Out of death came life. What's salvation? Salvation isn't making bad people good people. Salvation is making dead people alive people. And that's what salvation is. It's a miracle of life. And so the Bible says and when you get saved, you're born again. And so this whole story is a picture of our salvation. It's a miracle from God. It's totally impossible to be done in our own strength. And it's totally given to us, exactly like Isaac was for Abraham and Sarah. That's what we need to get back to, is that this whole thing is a picture of our salvation. It says right here, God took dead and made it life, and he took something that was not existent and made it existent. And that's what he does with all of us. Um, so that's why we follow him. I'm going to read this last verse real quick, verse 20, verse 20 through 24. So no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. That was the big phrase for the last couple of weeks. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, is because he didn't stop believing, he didn't become weak in faith, but he actually grew stronger in faith. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but it was written for all of yours. So the term, if you guys are following along up there in verse 23, the words, it was counted to him as righteousness, that was written in Genesis chapter 15. And so it said, that was written not for him, but for all of y'all. It's counted to us as righteousness for those that believe in Jesus. In verse 24, but it was for, for our sakes also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. That's where you get the Good Friday Easter. He was delivered and beaten and crucified for our sins, but he was raised up for our justification. Amen? So when you read that, you might be tempted to see that line and think that his faith grew strong, right? And Jim, you just said that 
our faith, like, we don't need to have more faith and more faith and more faith. And you might read that um, verse 20 and say, he grew strong, his faith grew strong. But look at verse 20 again. It says, no unbelief made him waver, meaning he didn't waver in unbelief concerning the promises of God. So it means that he never once doubted the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith. What meaning is, he put his faith in God and he became stronger because of it. Not meaning that his faith got better and better and better because I said that doesn't count. Like you just can't have better faith than somebody else. Like you either have faith or you don't. But because he remained in faith, he grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And it says he didn't weaken by unbelief. So if you were to go away from the faith and like leave the faith totally, you'd become weaker and weaker and weaker. And so he grew strong in his faith not his faith didn't go stronger. And that's what it means. Abraham never stopped believing. So there are going to be times as Christians you want to throw in your towel and saying the promises that lies ahead is too far away and this life just seems too big. I can't really grasp or attain that right now. And this verse is saying, don't weaken in your faith. Stay strong in your faith. Stay strong and grow strong because of your faith. You don't become a strong person overnight. You don't become a strong person by your own doing, only through Jesus. And as you keep the faith and not waver, you grow stronger and stronger. And that's kind of what sanctification is, is you become more today than others. You see this Florida illustration. We drove for 19 hours straight. And a couple weeks later, um, we went to uh, another like family trip, and it was four hours away. We went to visit family. You know what? That four-hour trip would have killed us in the past. You know what I mean? Like four hours in the car, whoa. We just drove 19 hours. Four hours felt like a breeze. And so God, with these things that come along in your life and you focus on the future, the more you do, the stronger you become and the easier it becomes. Because four hours felt like nothing. It felt easy and that would have bothered us before. And so these things that come along in your life, as you hold your faith, you'll be able to endure so much more and ultimately become stronger because of your faith. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this word. And even, God, as I'm speaking it, I could feel your Holy Spirit teaching me and all of us something new. Something, God, that many of us here grew up in church and we heard a thousand times, but for some reason it hit us new today. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you enrich us in that and build us in that and um, lead us in that in so many ways, God. So, God, we uh, offer ourselves to you today. God, help us not be concerned about if our faith is good enough because that just doesn't make sense to you. You just said you have to have faith so tiny it's a mustard seed and we can move mountains. And reassure us, Lord, that faith in you is a mustard seed is enough. And Lord, help us live a life that flows out of gratitude, doing good things out of the gratitude for the salvation that we were spared from death and God, help us keep our minds focused on what's ahead and not focused on our current circumstances. Help us not drown in our current circumstances or get obsessed with our current circumstances like Abraham could have, but help us focus on the promise that's ahead. God, we love you as a church body. We worship you. God, we want to know what's next for us as a people and for a church. And so God, we just give this time to you and we worship you now in this next song. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...